We're so excited about all that God is doing, but I will say this at the, at the same time, it's been a really hard couple of weeks here at Seacoast, and we've been dealing with some, some challenges, the, 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 the biggest one being that uh, we asked you last week if you would pray uh, for our friend Lori Fitzgerald. Lori had been on staff at Seacoast for almost 25 years and uh, been serving for, in so many different ways, and I think I've, I've got a picture of Lori and uh, she loves free t-shirts, just like the rest of you guys. And, uh, but she had her free t-shirts turned into a blanket, and we were praying that God would heal her from a stroke that she had unexpectedly. And uh, yesterday morning, God healed her, but not in the way that we've been praying for. Uh, God healed her with heaven. And, uh, and so we're grieving the loss of our friend. And, and I know most of you don't know Lori, but what I will say is that if your life has been impacted here at Seacoast, there's a very high chance that you've been impacted by Lori. Uh, she was a part of our counseling center team uh, that was launching this new counseling center. We've had over 500 phone calls and appointments. If you got an appointment at the counseling center, it's probably Lori that made that happen for you. And so I wanted you to get to know her a little bit better. She, she had a blog back in the day, and I saw this this week. I love her about me. Here's what it says. Although I am employed by Seacoast Church, no one at the church agrees with anything I say ever. That's why they don't let me write weekend messages. And that's just... That's her wit, that's her humor, that's her sarcasm, and we did not let her write messages, but the reality is, especially in these last few weeks, her life has preached an incredible message of finishing the race strong, of hearing from her heavenly Father, well done, good and faithful servant, and being willing to serve while never stepping foot on this platform, but to serve you guys because she loves you. Uh, she was our very first multi-site. In the early days of campuses, we had one administrative assistant for all of our campus pastors, and that was Lori. And so, um, so what I want to do to honor her, I've been praying for her family, and, and I would encourage you guys to continue to do that. But here's what I want to do to honor her. There are a lot of Lori Fitzgeralds in this church who come in every week, and they serve behind the scenes. Nobody may ever know their name. Maybe they're right now standing behind a camera, and you're watching at a campus, and there's somebody who's operating that camera to make sure that you can hear and see the good news. They may be holding a baby right now. They may be created an app or entered in data or they serve behind the scenes. Can we just give it up for all of those who serve behind the scenes to make this church great? We love you guys. Thank you for using the gifts that God has given you uh, to serve people. And uh, I think that honors, honors Lori and her legacy. And so, so we're, we're, we're in this conversation on reactions. I hope this series has been helpful to you, has been good for you. I know for me, it's been hurtful at times and also helpful at times, like to really pay attention to what's going on inside and why do I react in the ways that we react. And, and, and the premise of the series is we know that our actions, you've heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words, but the reality is that our reactions speak louder than both. That when we react, it, it will show us what's going on inside of us uh, it'll reveal some things, but it also makes a statement to the world. Uh, the world is watching, and Jesus had these very difficult commands that most of us read them, and we go, oh, that's for the hardcores. Uh, that's for the, the green berets of the faith, but they're really for all of us. When he says, hey, when someone disrespects you, I don't want you to swing back at them. When, when, when you have an enemy, what I want you to do is love them and pray for them, and, and we all, if we're honest, struggle with that sometimes. Really? because that's not my reaction. And so we're looking at it together to figure out what can we learn from, from our reactions and how can we get to a place where we, we can learn to automatically be obedient to Jesus in those moments. And it's been challenging. I had a dad reach out to me this week and say, hey, uh, 
I can't wait till the series is done. I'm going to binge watch it with my kids because their reactions are terrible, and this is going to be awesome for them. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Uh, but the problem is, it's not just my kids that are struggling with their reactions. It's me too. And, uh, and even in light of a lot of what we've been dealing with at the church, I, I preached a message to start the series two weeks ago. And that Thursday night, about nine o'clock, my phone rang. And it was Adam Martin, and he was giving me the news about Lori and, and the stroke and what was going on. And and the reality is that was about the third phone call that week that was unexpected and not good. Bad news on the other end of the line. And so that next morning, Friday, I'm, I'm going about my day and my phone rings and I notice, I, I'm like, I don't want to answer it. I don't want to answer my phone. I don't know if you can relate to that. And maybe you've seen a number pop up and you're like, I don't think this is going to be good. I don't want to do it. And I realize, man, there's some stuff going on inside there that, that I need to pay attention to. And and what I want to do today is I want to zero in. Uh, we've been talking about reactions broadly, but I want to zero in on the root of many of our reactions, not all of them, but many times when we react poorly, maybe you have a tendency to, to react in anger or to try to control something, or maybe you, you, you pull away and withdraw. Many times, if we were to trace that reaction back to, to the root of what's going on in our heart, we would find fear at the end of that route. That there's some things that we're just afraid of. And maybe we haven't processed it to the point that we could even put language around it, but there's just fear. We're dealing with fear. And so today I want to talk to you guys for a few minutes and I want us to explore together what would it look like to get to the bottom of our fear and, and, and see our fear give way to faith in our lives. So what is the thing that you're afraid of? What is it? You know, for years, 30, 40 years, they've done studies and they've, they've asked people the question, surveys, what are your top fears? And, and what, what I've, I've learned looking at those surveys is that the seventh most common fear that's represented probably in this room, probably at our campuses, any guesses on what it might be? It's the fear of dying. I would have thought it would be higher up on the list, but the seventh most common fear is the fear of dying. Do you know what number one is? Public speaking. Anybody want to trade place with me right now? <laughs> I know you will, Joel. No, you can't. <laughs> you know what that's telling me? We would rather die than deliver the eulogy at a funeral. Like, there's just a real fear. Uh, there's all kinds of fears. I looked into a few of them this week just to see what some of the, the, the latest ones are. There, there's a fear. It's called ablutophobia. Ablutophobia. Any guesses on what that is? The fear of bathing. The fear of bathing. Some of you may be sitting next to somebody right now who's got a blutophobia and you didn't even know it. I tell you, uh, I've got a middle schooler. I had one that I thought for sure had that fear, but it turns out it was just middle school, but we're good. You know this one, arachnophobia, irrational fear of spiders. Never really have dealt with that, but this summer I was on a golf cart and uh, it was at night and I was driving my kids around on this golf cart and my son goes, dad, is that a fiddler crab above your head? And he pulled out his flashlight and he shined his light on it. And it was not a fiddler crab. It was bigger than a fiddler crab. And it was a wolf spider. And we all disappeared, right? Got away from it. I'm like, now I walk into rooms. I'm like, I'm going to double check. You know, I understand a little bit more. Uh, there's, there's nomophobia. Any guesses on this? This is a newer fear. It's the fear of being without your cell phone. Nomophobia. The fear. Some of y'all are pointing fingers right now. Oh, yeah. Pointing at mom. Yeah. A lot of us probably struggle with that. Last one, I'm not going to say it, but this is a fear. Don't know how to pronounce that. 
fittingly, it's the fear of long words. Uh, and so, anyways, that's not going to add much value to your life. But most of those are silly, right? And, and the bottom line is if you deal with one of those fears, I'm not sure I can be super helpful to you today. You probably need to talk to a counselor and unpack some of that. But I want to take a broader look at what does it look like for us to deal with and process our fears? Because if we're being honest, many of us are, they're just real legitimate fears that we deal with in our life. The fear of losing somebody that you love. Maybe it's the fear of losing your job or financial insecurity that you're concerned about. Some of us are afraid of, you know, dying or afraid of loss or afraid of, uh, one thing that I felt like the Lord kind of zeroed in on me this morning as I was praying coming into church is that there's represented among us the fear of being known. You know, we all have a deep-rooted desire to be known, and we have a deep-rooted desire to be loved. But most of us, when those desires come up against each other, we choose being loved over being known, and we end up hiding. We don't let people in, and there's this fear that, oh, if they really knew who I am, maybe I wouldn't be loved. And I'm believing that God wants to help you with that today. Some of us, part of why the election season can be so stressful and challenging is that there's a lot of legitimate fears about our country and maybe about the direction. And, and maybe for you, that's just a fear that you're, if you're honest, man, I, I deal with that. And I, I get kind of maybe worked up and react in certain ways that may be rooted in those fears. So how do we deal with our fear? How do we tear down our fear and build faith? I want to look at a story together in the Bible. If you have a Bible or, or if you've got the app, we're going to spend most of our time in the book of Numbers. Uh, but I want to share four things that I think Scripture can show us on a broad level of uh, how we turn our fear into faith. The first one is this. Fear is fueled by misinformation. Misinformation fuels our fear. I want to go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, this is the very first time that, that we screwed things up. Uh, sin is, is uh, an old word, Greek word, that was used to, to mean missing the target. It would be like if you, if you shot at a, a target and you missed it. Well, this is the first time we missed the target. And, and, and it's when sin came into the world. I want to show you what happened. It says the serpent, by the way, that's a fear. Some of you guys have the serpent, was the shrewdest of all of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Do you notice the tactic? Misinformation. Did God really say, you know, way back then, the enemy wanted us to doubt and not believe what God said, and he uses the same tactic on us today. Did God really say it? And Eve got it right. She's like, no, God didn't say that. He just said we couldn't eat this one tree that's, that's going to cause us to die. And then his next step was, well, you're, you're not going to die. Same thing. Did God really? No. No. And then ultimately it leads to them derailing what they had in the garden. And most of us wrestle with the same thing. Did God really say that? That's why it's so important for us as Christ followers to, to be rooted and anchored in the word of God and to understand what he did say so that when we begin to see some misinformation. We can recognize it and call it out for what it is. Let's look at how it played out with the people of God in Numbers chapter 13. Let me give you a quick context for it. 
You guys remember the, the story of the people of Israel being rescued out of slavery and Moses comes in and they part the Red Sea and they go across. You've seen it, right? Charlton Heston uh, back in the day. That was, that was a story. Well, this, this has all happened now. Uh, the people of Israel, they were in slavery. Moses comes in, God uses them, plagues, and all of a sudden they've been set free. The, the answer to their prayer that they've been praying for for so many years, God, hear the cries of your people. Well, God heard the cries and he set them free. Now they're outside of Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they're right on the cusp of this land that God has prepared for them, the promised land. And they're getting ready to go in and occupy it. And, and that's where we pick up the story. Numbers 13, verses one and two. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites, Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. I want you to notice the phrase, the land I am giving to the Israelites. That is the truth. God had already told them, I am giving you a place. I've been preparing a place for you. So your job isn't to go spy to figure out whether I'm preparing a place for you. Your job is to go figure out how that you're going to occupy that land. And so Moses gives them specific instruction. In verse 17, he says, uh, gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops that you see. I want you to notice what was not in that assignment. They were not sent to go determine whether or not God had given them the land. They were sent to explore, to do research, to go in with their eyes wide open to what they were walking into. And, and so they do this. These 12 spies, they go into the land and, and they come back and and they, they've done the assignment. They've explored the land and they give them a full report. They bring these massive, you know, grape clusters and they're like, man, it is a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Side note, uh, I always thought that meant cows and bees. Uh, and then I went to Israel and realized, no, that's actually not what it's talking about at all. Uh, there may have been cows, there may have been bees, but, but the crops that were prevalent there are almonds. So you had almond milk and you had date honey. And so, anyways, that's free. Come to Israel with us. You'll learn more cool facts like that. But they come back, they're like, it's amazing. This is, this is, this is what's there, and, and there are giants there. But, but they, they give the report back of the information, but then they added their own analysis. And I want you to see it in verse 31. They say, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. Really? All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought about us, too. Do you notice that they, they went beyond facts and they, they, they went to analysis? And they begin to talk about these giants. And listen, there were giants in the land. That's not bad that they brought it up. But they, they then determined that the giants were bigger 
than they were. And do you notice what happened? They said, we felt like grasshoppers. And then they projected that onto their enemies. So they thought we were grasshoppers too. Guess what? We know from scripture that's not true. They were afraid of them. They heard the stories about what God did in Egypt. They heard about the Red Sea. They were terrified. Their enemies were terrified of them, but they had this fear, and then they projected the fear on to their enemies. And so often, we do the same thing. God has given us a promise. He's given us a, a, a word, a, a promise over our lives, and it's like, well, yeah, but, but there are giants there. And there's no way that I in my own power can take down the giants. And we'll do it. Say, man, I, you know, I, I know that there's a promised land of, of marriage, but, but there's giants there. I mean, there's commitment and there's hard things. And I didn't know that it would be this hard. Or, man, we got kids and we prayed for them, right? So often the promises of God are the answers to prayer. But then we talk ourselves out of them because of the giants that are there. Man, I don't know about raising kids in this day and age, there's giants in the land. You know, we, we, we think about even our faith. And I, I'm interested in exploring Christianity and exploring God, but wait a minute, what's it going to cost me? Like there's, there's giants in the land and we begin to add our own analysis and come to conclusions that God never asked us to, to make. I remember when we first started doing our women's conferences, I mentioned Chosen, and it's, again, it's going to be amazing. Uh, last year, Chosen, we had so many people here. Uh, that we, had, we had women getting baptized. Our worship team, Brandon Lake, gave up. He finally put his guitar down and said, I can't keep singing. Y'all just keep on doing this baptism thing. It just was amazing. God moved in powerful ways. Well, 13 years ago, I remember when God initially gave us a vision, said, I really feel like we're supposed to step into a doing a women's conference here. And so we put a team together and said, hey, this is the vision. We're gonna do a women's conference. We need you guys to go spy out the land, figure out what's it gonna cost, what's it gonna take. Let's look at best practices. Who's doing these things really well? We wanna learn from them and let's figure it out. And so I was a campus pastor at Mount Pleasant at the time and <coughs> excuse me, this group comes in or they went out and did all the research. We come back and we're in a meeting and um. It was awesome. PowerPoint, hey, here's what's potential that could happen with the Chosen Women's Conference, and here's how many people we could reach, and here's what it would cost, and blah, 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 and it was a great report. And then there was one final PowerPoint slide, and those of us that were in the room remember this. It was five reasons why we should not do this conference as a church. And so we have all this discussion, and it's like, well, you know, okay, let's hear this good information, helpful. You guys that and women that lead in business, you know, you need people around you that are going to tell you all of the truth, not just what you want to hear. So that's good. But then it kind of got quiet. And I looked over at my dad. He was still leading the church at that point. And you could tell he's a little red, a little upset, but he was being quiet. And, and, and then he finally spoke up and he said, I, I think you guys misunderstood the assignment. I didn't ask you to go determine whether or not we were going to do a women's conference. That decision has already been made. I asked you to go determine how we're gonna make it happen. So why don't you guys get back together and now I've given you clarity on the assignment, that's my bad, go back and let's figure it out. And it was like one of those moments, it was like, yeah. Sometimes God has given us a promise but we will talk ourselves out of it because of all the stuff, right? And now those of you that have been to the women's conference, you know what a meaningful thing that's been, how pivotal that is in the life of our church. And it almost never happened because there were giants in the land, because it was going to be 
hard. Following Jesus is hard. Building is hard. Parenting is hard. Marriage is hard. There's, there's giants in the land, and our fear gets fueled by misinformation, by us adding our own analysis. And you know what? We can make fun of the news. We can talk about social media. There's a lot of places where misinformation is, right? But you know where the most information that I get comes from? Right here. It's the stuff I tell myself. It's the stuff that, you know, well, you don't have what it takes. You know, you're going to fail if you try this thing. You know, and, and, and we end up feeding ourselves misinformation. Second thing I know about fear is that fear breeds more fear. Fear breeds more fear. Let's go back to the story. How many people went? There were 12 spies. Ten of them came back with a negative report. Two of them saw it differently. And we'll talk about them in just a second. Ten people, negative report. Let's look what happens in about one day's time. Numbers 14, verses 1 through 3. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? You know, most historians say there were between one and two million people in the Israelite camp. And in about 24 hours, 10 people's fear had turned into an entire nation's fear. All of a sudden, the entire nation, there's protests. We're going to get rid of Moses. Really? I think Moses was a pretty solid leader last I checked, but it wasn't, it, it was the misinformation that led to the fear, that led to more fear, that led to more fear. And all of a sudden, the entire nation is struck with fear. We know how this goes. Here in Charleston, we live in hurricane country. It's hurricane season. You know what happens. Report comes out. There's a storm out in the ocean. Three days later, I can't find toilet paper anywhere. Not a single piece of toilet paper in this town because Fear goes, and you know we perpetuate it. By the way, the, the storm is not coming. I'll speak that now for you. I believe it's not coming. There's one out there right now. But, but we just get worked up, and all of a sudden, an entire city is like freaking out because fear is not stagnant. Fear doesn't just stay where it is. It, it grows. It breeds more fear. I remember my daughter was 10 years old. or She's 10 years old now. She was five. We were out on a family uh, day just hanging out, Shem Creek, and walking along some trails and she grabbed a hold of a, a railing and she actually accidentally grabbed a hold of a, a bee's nest and she got stung by a bunch of bees on her hand, right? That's terrible, right? So we help her out and treat her and uh, kind of, she was okay, thankfully not allergic to it. Well, over the next couple of weeks, we realized that all of a sudden, Ellie, this fun-loving, awesome, joyful girl, she didn't want to do anything. She didn't want to go to the pool. No, I'm not, I don't want to go to the pool. I'm going to stay inside. Her best friend, a uh, cousin lived about three, lives about three doors down from us, and they would always go back and forth, and he wanted her to come play, and she's like, I'm not, I'm not going to his house. I'm like, what is going on with you? You've got to get outside, and we knew she was afraid of bees, but then she kind of finally shared with us, well, there's pollen pods on the street between our house and his house. We're like, so what? 
It's like, no, pollen pods. And you guys know what I'm talking about. These are, I got a picture of them, but these are these little pods of pollen that fall from pine trees. And, and she is deathly afraid of pollen pods. We're like, what is going on? So we began to process it, and we're like praying over her, and we rebuke fear in the name of Jesus. And, but what we had to do is dig up to the bottom of it. What we found out is that she thought that pollen was associated with bees, and that if she stepped on a pollen pod, that she would get swarmed by bees again, and she'd get stung by bees. And so she was just, I'm going to stay away from pollen. It's like, are you kidding me, Ellie? That's not how it works. And we had to explain to her, no, I mean, I'm allergic to pollen, uh, but, but pollen uh, is associated with bees, but you don't have to be afraid of pollen pods. And it took us several months to untangle some things that she had convinced herself of. And, and she, was, she was not experiencing the promised land of the pool of her cousin's house because of a pollen pod. She was so fixated on it. She couldn't think about anything else. Fear breeds more fear. Another thing I know about fear is that fear will force you to settle. Fear will force you to settle. Numbers 14.4. Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Really? Do you remember that you were slaves in Egypt and now you've been set free and you want to go from freedom back to slavery? Like, do, do, do you not know what God has done? He's, he take, took you out of oppression and slavery and he's prepared a place for you and you just have to go take it. But, but the fear of the future and the fear of the unknown drives them back to a familiar place that's bad. And so often we do the same thing. It's like, I'm gonna settle for what I know is not right, what I know is bad, because I'm afraid if I take a risk, if I go out there, if I put myself out there, I'm gonna fail. And we choose slavery over freedom because that's what fear does to us. And you know what? There were 12 spies. Ten of them had a negative report. They chose fear. That spread to the entire nation of Israel. And what you find out in Numbers 14 is that because your men explored the land for 40 days, God said, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for every day that they explored. Out of the estimated 2 million people that God brought out of Egypt to bring to the promised land, Two of them made it. Everybody else died in the wilderness. Everybody else settled. Now their children ended up making it in, but the, the Bible tells us that there are only two of them because fear will always force you to settle. And there are some of us here today, we've been settling for maybe 40 years because we've been afraid to repent. We've been afraid to confess what we've been dealing with or struggling with because of what people might think of us. And God has a promised land right in front of us, but we've chosen slavery because it's familiar and because it feels maybe a little bit safer. But here's the good news, and it's the last thought for us today, is that fear will give way to faith when I shift my focus. Fear will give way to faith when I shift my focus. Numbers 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me 
so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Caleb and Joshua, the two guys that went, they, they saw the same giants, they acknowledged the same giants, they just remembered that they serve a God who defeats giants. They serve a God who actually used a 15-year-old boy later on to take down giants with a couple of rocks. They chose to shift their focus. Yes, there's giants. Let's not bury our head in the sand. Let's not ignore problems. Let's face them head on, but let's always remember that we have a God who slays giants. That's who he is. And when I look at the men and women of faith that we read about in the scripture, you know what a lot of them have in common? They just made a habit of rereading God's resume back to him. You know what, God, you rescued your people then, you healed then, and you'll heal now. Why do they do that? Because God is this God who has an ego and likes people to tell him how good he is? No. God doesn't need us to read us his resume. We need us to read his resume. We need to constantly be reminded of who God is and of what he can accomplish, that he is Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. We don't have to fear a lack of provision in the future because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God is the God who is a healer and, and we can experience things and we're gonna have giants, but we can, we can focus on the God who is bigger than our giants. I'll never forget being in the hospital room about four years ago. Lisa's mom, Bobby, so close to our family. She's been amazing to us. And we were out of town. We got a call that she was having a health emergency, went to the hospital and we came home and a couple days later, we realized there was a tumor growing in her chest and her lungs and it did not look good. And so finally they ran all these tests and we're in this hospital room. The doctor comes in, says, I need you to sit down. Here's what we know. There's a tumor growing in her chest and it's cancerous and it's malignant and it's bad. And we, we're going to figure out some treatment options, but you need to have a sober reality of what's going on. And it was like the the life came out of the room. I mean, as soon as she said that, the room's spinning. I'm thinking, am I seriously sitting in this moment right now? Like, are we really walking through this? And so she shared a few things and the doctor walked out of the room and we're all just sitting there looking at each other, crying. What do you say? And Bobby speaks up, Lisa's mom. And here's what she said, first words. Well, that doesn't sound too hard for God. It doesn't sound too hard for God. It's like, yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say as your pastor. <clears throat> but sometimes the giants are right in the middle of your face and you, you feel like you can't see around them, but we have to lift our eyes and be reminded that we serve a God who is bigger than the giants. And you know what? In her story, about three weeks later, she was cancer-free. God healed her. It was amazing. Remarkable what God did in her life. And he's capable of doing that in your life. But you know what? We prayed for that same miracle for Lori. For the last 10 days, we've been just praying and storming the gates of heaven. And, and he healed her, but he didn't heal her in the way we wanted him to. But here's what you need to know is that even in those moments, we serve a God who defeated the giant of death. We serve a God who came, became one of us, Jesus Christ, and he died on a cross. He stopped breathing. His body was breathless. They put him in a tomb. And three days later, he breathed again, and he rose from the dead, and he's still living 
today. And so it doesn't matter what fear we face. I'm confident that Lori, if she were here, would go, hey, like you don't have to be afraid. That number seven on the list, if you put your faith in Jesus, trust him for your salvation, we have a promise of eternity. That resurrection means that we can live forever. And one day there will be no pain and there will be no tears. And we can hold steady to that promise, but we have to lift up our eyes from the giants that are in the land and be reminded that our God is bigger than any giant that we would face. I truly believe that this weekend, he wants to set many of us free from fear. For you, maybe it's the very act of committing your life to him. You've been around the church for a while. You've maybe heard some of the stories, but You've been afraid of what it might cost you to give your life to Jesus. And I don't want to be a bad salesman. It's going to cost you everything. Ultimately, he's going to take us on a journey of dying to ourself and yielding our lives and surrendering to him. But you're going to gain everything as well. It costs us usually the things that don't matter in life. And we gain eternity. We gain peace. We gain freedom. And we gain life. That's what my prayer is for each one of us today. Would you pray with me here and at the campuses? Father, I thank you that you are a God who has a track record that is undefeated against giants. And so God, I just pray for everyone that is here today. I don't know what giants we're all facing, but you do. And God, I pray that as we respond to you, as we worship, that you would just well up faith in this room. Fear, we bind you right now in the name of Jesus. You don't belong in this place. And we release faith. We just release a freedom over every person in this room and at every campus. God, would you just strengthen our faith? Lord, for many of us, that's gonna be putting our faith in you, Jesus, maybe for the first time. Simply saying yes God, I want to receive the free gift of salvation. Would you breathe faith into me? Many of us are facing very challenging giants in our life right now. God, would you help us to see beyond the giants to the God who defeats them? Lord, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.